93.3 and AM 560. That is a fact. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. All right, I got the cue from Garrett. We're on again. This is uh, KWTO. Uh, Steve McCoskey filling in for Elijah Har. And uh, we're on the last hour. And in this hour, I want to make sure that we have an understanding uh, on what we're going to fulfill this with. Uh, we still have. Bridget from the Nix uh, School Board and uh, Mary, Dr. Mary M. from uh, Springfield's School Board and myself as a school board. And again, these are our own opinions uh, as public citizens, even though that we are on the Board of Education. Well, we have in studio where we're going to have uh, a discussion about the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And I have uh, Will Scharf here. And l- let me just... Uh, give a little introduction about you will that i have in front of me and will's a former federal prosecutor and a conservative activist is running for the missouri attorney general is that right that's right as a republican as a republican okay uh, the republican uh, primary election is going to be uh, held in august this year uh, will uh, during the trump administration i understand that you work to support conservative judicial nominations uh playing an instrumental role in the confirmations of Supreme Court Justices uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, right? That's right. Yep. And obviously uh, uh, dozens of other uh, lower court uh, uh, judges that you've got involved with and helped get elected. So you've also developed strategies for significant constitutional litigation, including important First Amendment and religious liberty cases, and was a portfolio manager for a major conservative foundation. You care to mention who that might be? Uh, it, it's I've worked in the conservative activist space for a very long time with a, right. with a lot of different organizations. But uh, I think the common thread is you know you called me a Republican candidate for Missouri Attorney General. I think it's important to say a conservative Republican candidate. You know you have a lot of people in this state who put an R next to their name. Uh, but don't stand by the values that I think we all hold dear here. So that's really been the, the motivating principle throughout my career for me, and that's what we're we're carrying through in this race. And how true that is is because, you know, I'm 65 years old, and I've pretty much been a conservative my whole life. And when I say conservative, I'm, I'm talking about I am a real conservative. Um, and when you talk about being a Republican or being a conservative, there to me there's two different definitions. And, and to be clear, a conservative, you know, I, I, I just can't, uh, I, I can't find candidates out there that call themselves a real conservative, but they call themselves a Republican. Um, but when I do, it concerns me because it seems like they want to take on this persona that they're really conservative and they're not, and they get elected. And before you know it, we find ourselves in all these, uh, particular situations, all these different types of laws that are coming about on the books or, or maybe even the laws that we should have that we don't have. When what we've seen here in Missouri is a great example of that, Steve. In the last five years under Republican governance in Jefferson City, we've seen the state budget essentially double from $27 billion to $51, $52 billion. And I think conservatives all over the state are asking, 
know, what kind of government are we electing? These people that we're going out knocking doors for, making calls for, uh, the people that we're bleeding to, to bleeding and sweating to get into office. Uh, what are they actually doing once they get there? And it's, it's those kinds of questions that we're hearing all over the state as we get around. And it's those kinds of questions that I think Missouri voters deserve answers for. Yeah, and, and you're so right, you know, because if you look at the budget uh, when it doubled, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know more about this than I do, but I heard that we, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has 20% of Missouri's budget. 25. The, Depart- the, Department, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, you can cut the numbers up a bunch of different ways, but at the very least, they're spending $10 billion a year they have over 1,800 employees. So when you think about that $10 billion, it's not going to classroom instruction. It's not going to teachers. It's not going to the people who are in front of kids every day trying to teach them to read, teach them math. Uh, it's going to this vast education bureaucracy that we've allowed to grow and grow and grow in this state. And that's driving a lot of the dysfunction we're seeing with these curricular issues, with critical race theory, with radical gender theories popping up in classrooms all over the state. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking about Springfield Public Schools, obviously Nixa Public Schools as well. Uh, but really all over the state, we're hearing about the same kinds of issues, uh, which is uh, schools not reflecting our values and not reflecting uh, really the, you know, the idea of excellence in education. Instead, they've turned into this social laboratory that I don't think anyone wants. You know, I think that you actually would have an ally, uh, 137th District um, Representative, uh, Darren Chapel. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. he's re- most recently, you know, he's, uh, just finished the first session up there. He's a freshman, uh, representative and he's actually, uh, pulled 90, I think it was 92, 93 million dollars, uh, away from the budget. But he, he found like 1.2 billion dollars that are just sitting out there and Desi's not doing anything with it. Now I'm sure that you can shed a lot of light on that uh, with your previous history and experience with Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Right. So I was policy director to, to Governor Eric Reitens when he was in office. Uh, we moved heaven and earth to push out the head of DESI, Margie Van Dieven, because we had no confidence uh, in her abilities. We had no confidence in the department that she was running. Unfortunately, she was rehired you know, shortly after Governor Parson came into office. But this is a woman who was leading Desi under Democrat Governor Jay Nixon, and she's still there. That's the kind of Department of Education we have. It's a a left-wing Democrat Department of Education uh, in what's a deep red state. It doesn't make any sense. And until we demand accountability from Desi, we're going to keep getting more of the same. I've committed that if elected, we're going to investigate Desi. We're going to hold their feet to the fire. We're going to get to the bottom of exactly where our taxpayer dollars are going, and we're going to demand answers. And we should, because, you know, when, as a member of the Board of Education, I see all of this M6 program, you know, that uh, that uh, we have these guidelines that DESE places upon us. And then we have to meet these certain uh, guidelines and widgets and things like that. And if we don't, we're not, we're not getting any funds. That's the way it works. And, and one of the issues that I see is in the disciplinary aspect of it within the school systems. And I and I just kind of question sometimes how the schools try to uh uh you know cookie coat or you know try to uh hide a lot of the disciplinary issues that we have within the school system 
simply for the fact that they want to make sure that the students stay in school. They have to be there for four hours in order for that district in, to end up getting the funds necessary. And it's, you know, Desi's role, the role of education in this state, it should be centered around parents and students. It should be centered around making sure that kids are getting the kind of education that their parents want them to get, that their parents think that they're getting. Instead, for too long, we've seen Desi view its role as effectively running cover uh, for failing school administrators, that they view their constituencies as the teachers' unions, uh, as the school administrators. That's who Desi thinks it represents instead of us, instead of we the people. And until we affect that fundamental change in thinking in that department, we're going to keep getting more of the same. And more of the same is just unacceptable. Today in Missouri, we were talking about this just before we came on the air, Less than one in four eighth graders are proficient in math and reading. Incredible. I mean, that's the, the fundaments of an education we're not delivering on. And, and that's a, it's, it's a generational issue because the kids going through our schools today, those are the citizens of the future. They're not being equipped to go out in the <laughs> world and succeed at the level that they deserve. And, and that's a, it's a fundamental failing of our government. It's an unacceptable failing of our government. And until we start waking up and getting together and organizing, and demanding accountability, we're going to keep getting more of the same. Well, tell me, who do you know that's riding this horse? In other words, uh, there are other uh, areas that involve themselves in education, like the Missouri State Board of Education or Association. You have uh, different groups that actually feed into to Desi, sure, and 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 so they they're bringing their feedback. I even think that we have like the. Uh, isn't there a board of superintendents uh, that also are involved in all of this? You have the superintendents uh, association. You have the Missouri School Board Association. You have the the NEA, you know, teachers unions. You have all of these associations, and they're the ones calling the shots. When if you read our state constitution, when you look at, at the way government's actually set up, it's parents and, and school boards and people getting elected to school boards who should be in the driver's seat. But we have a State Department of Education and really an education establishment uh, set up to empower the wrong people. Uh, instead yeah. of empowering communities, we're empowering bureaucrats, and the bureaucrats are failing. And they're running the show. And right they're running now. the show. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I, I'd like to see that change. I think that we had discussion uh, earlier in the year how it is that I'd like to see the the control. I think there was a Senate bill out there and trying to provide some of the the control back to the districts themselves and helping build the district's curriculum and and uh, and meeting all the widgets that the district wants to build for the schools because we we would know better uh than desi of course when you see some districts that you know where you've had uh parents where you've had local uh community activists take control of their school boards you've seen some districts really have remarkable successes uh, and then you have districts like Springfield that have been resistant to change, that have been resistant to accountability. I know you've seen that firsthand. It's a shame that we we didn't pick up a couple seats in these last school board elections with uh, with oh. Landon and Chad. I mean, that was heartbreaking. But th- those are the opportunities for change, is getting conservatives together around a common-sense education agenda and getting the bureaucrats and the associations and sort of big ed out of the way. And, and we've seen a lot of that in that elect, last election sure. here at Springfield. It's so disheartening in that because, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, talk bad about my board members. Uh, they are my, my board members. I mean, we have to work together. We have, an, 
we have certain uh, concerns like a strategic plan, the mission, and the vision, and we have to be able to work together. However, I'd have much rather had a couple different people that uh, uh, would be on this Board of Education from the last election. And I think that's very important to understand because if it's, it's like Alex Bryant. He bought it up that West Springfield, they're not made – uh, the Board of Education is not made of a lot of conservatives, and I mean real conservatives in that. And we have a lot of uh, left-wing ideology, I believe, uh, on the Board of Education and that. And we have a lot of the businesses that might have been considered to be uh, more of a conservative look. Or at minimum neutral. Yeah, and, and they, they actually went for this. And, and and here are the results now. And that that's concerning to me because I really want to be focused on helping all of the kids, the kids within our district, and, uh, and the community leaders need to understand that. But I don't think they have the right message out there, and that showed in this last election. And, and it really irritates me because – we have a lot of work to do here. We have a lot of catching up to do. And these kids, each year, each semester, they, far, they fall farther and farther behind. We can't afford to do this. Okay, I want to jump in there. Well, you better come in with yeah. the fire that I had. <laughs> well, I'm coming in with the fire. I am so glad you're in the studio with us, Will, because I, I wrote down what you said. You said, more of the same is unacceptable. I think I said these exact same words at our last meeting. This is simply unacceptable where we are. And I feel like they've already given up in essence. That, mm. That's the feeling I get in, in just in the many conversations and in how we conduct our business. And I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to hear you utter those words because it's, and I'm, I'm just so excited about you running for attorney general because it's not enough that we school board members work our tails off in the trenches. We simply can't do it alone. We need leadership at the state level. And, and I think it's so incredibly valuable that, A, you understand. You've got your finger on the pulse of education. Just sitting here listening to you, it's mm-hmm. very apparent that you know what, what's going on. You, you understand what ails us. Because until you understand that, you can't fix it, right? So, A, you understand it, and two, <laughs> that you're willing to get in the ring with us. <laughs> and I want, and I I want mean, to bring I that, I want because, to bring that back. I mean, it's so incredibly heartbreaking and depressing. And Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to bring that back here right after this segment because that's very important that we talk that mm-hmm. issue specifically and how we're going to get engaged here. And we're going to be right back after this break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're on KWTO. Listen to The Elijah Har Show. The news and talk allegations that the Attorney General of the United States has weaponized the Justice Department. That matters to Springfield. That the DOJ. 93.3 and AM 560. That is a fact. KWTO. I'm the son of a good man. I'm the child of an angel. I'm the brother of a wild one. 
I'm looking for direction. News analysis and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Oh, yeah. We are back. Garrett, thank you very much for bringing us back in. Love that music. You didn't see me dancing that time, but I've seen you dancing. The third day is by far my favorite band, maybe of all time. And so I, I try to sneak some of my favorites on there every once in a while. This was one of them. I love it. Right? Oh, they're the best. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, you're uh, listening to the Elijah Har Show on KWTO. And in studio, we have Dr. Mary Muhammad Connie from the Board of Education here in Springfield. And we have Bridget. Bridget, I tell you what, ever since I've seen you come on the Nexus School Board, I'm like, you're on fire, girl. I'm telling you. <laughs> So Bridget, Bridget Bittinger from uh, Nixa uh, Board of Education. And we have in studio Will Scharf. Will is uh, running for uh, an office here in the state, the Attorney General. Man, and I really love it. But you really have such a vast knowledge and, and experience um, dating back into, what, uh, 2015, 16, 17, uh, with the uh, – Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Is that about right? I've been been watching them for far too long, and yeah. it's unfortunate that we're still dealing with the same issues now that we're, we were dealing with back then. And uh, it's ridiculous that we just keep going down this same path, which is just what happened on that election this last time. But, Mary Ann, you had some topics that... Well, uh, no, I just, you know, I'll, I was wrapping up the last segment by saying that we need the right people in local control, in the trenches, and school boards, and we need the right people at a state leadership level. Um, that's what I was... So we have a once-in-a-generation opportunity this election cycle. We have every statewide office holder, other than the state auditor, on the ballot. What we do in the next year is going to determine the future of this state for a decade or more to come. And that's why it's so important that your listeners down here, the good conservatives all over the state, uh, read up on the candidates, really understand what they stand for, uh, and demand the kind of conservative government, the kind of conservative office holding uh, that this state's just been lacking, I think, for way too long. I couldn't agree with and you And that more. change is possible. Yeah. I mean, that is so uplifting to know that there is help on the horizon, and it's doable because so often I feel they've given up. I mean, do you get that sense? Well, mm, Bridget, you guys way, are atheists. Yeah, I'm very so new. I, guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really talk to you about that. But here's, here's an example that I was, Bridget and I were just talking about this just a little bit ago here. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a numbers girl. I just, I observe and then I take this empirical evidence and, and try to put it together, right? They're not my ideas. These are just my observations. And, Steve, you know, and Bridget, you know, and Will, education is not my field. This is not what I do. So I've just been studying it for the last two years and trying to learn as much as I can. And boy, this thing, they have overly complicated mm-hmm. education. I wonder why. Well, I wonder why. And, you know, I can't get through a single meeting. I don't know if you feel the same way, uh, Steve, without words and ideas being thrown around that are just... It's, you know, starting with, it's the whole pedagogy, the entire classroom model has changed. And the way that they introduce this change is, we're going to help you, right? The scores are failing, the kids aren't reading in third grade, so we're going to do this and this. And each one has a new acronym, right? It's Mm -hmm. just a world full Mm -hmm. of acronyms and this Mm -hmm. idea and this idea. And they're just, it's like a dartboard. And they're just throwing everything at it 
nothing sticking. And I sometimes think back and say, come on, it's really not that complicated. I'll give you this example because and it upsets me because every single one of these ideas comes with dollars, right? This is the expanding budget we're talking about because everybody wants to improve education. And they're just throwing these ideas and money and more money and more money. And I was just talking to Bridget, what, 20 minutes, what, 30 minutes ago about the solution to kids not reading in third grade was what? Pre-K. Pre-K. Well, if they can't read when they're eight, boy, we're going to start them when they're four. <laughs> but where is that coming from? And of mm-hmm. course, with that comes money and curriculum. And what do we have in the hands of four-year-olds? Technology, mm-hmm. computers, yes. iPads, Chromebooks, mm-hmm. iPads. Chromebooks. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And I sit and I sit back as a parent, not as an educator, and I think, well, what happened to just playing outside? Because here's here's the news. Newsflash: Were these kids fifty years ago not reading at a- mm-hmm. age eight? Mm-hmm. No. What's changed? Humans haven't. Well, you could argue kids are changing with technology. But why is it that the recipe has to somehow be different now? Will, help us with this. So, Talk to me about policy and what, what, you know, this ain't your first rodeo. You know a thing or two about education. You know, last hour you had Alex Bryant from, from Nixa Public, the Nixa Public School Board on. And he said something really interesting. He said that he moved his family to Nixa because he wanted his kid to go to good schools. Now, what does he mean by that? He means schools that provide a good education, that teach kids how to read, that teach kids math, that prepare his kids for the future. And we hear that from parents all over the state, that they move to a district that has better performance, better schools, better teachers. I've never once heard a parent say, I moved, my, I moved to a different district because I wanted my kids to be indoctrinated even more with critical race theory. Oh, yeah. I, I chose these schools because they're just great at critical race theory. Nobody thinks that way other than education bureaucrats other than the people setting the curriculum, other than school administrators who are obsessed with every sort of passing craze, as you said, sort of these new pedagogies, what we need is a return to basics. And the way that we do that is by centering education in this state around parents and students instead of around administrators and the bureaucracy and all of this garbage that's being pushed it's, down. It's almost like they're speaking another language. And and they, they want to speak another language because then they can make it more complex than it is, and then they can trick people into believing that they have the answers when we know that they don't have the answers because the results have been lousy. And, and that's what this comes down to at the end of the day. Can our kids read? Can our kids do math? Are our kids getting the, the sort of the fundamental civics education that prepares them to be good citizens of this state and this country. Right now, we are failing. I see no reason to continue to empower the same people who have presided over that failure. And that's what we need to demand out of Jefferson City, is accountability for the failures that we have and insist on on a return to, to what really should be education in this state. Now, Will, would you know that when Desi started, wasn't that like about 1974 or something like that? That sounds about right. Yes. Yeah, um, and then you had mentioned earlier that, uh, Desi, they have like 1,800 employees. 1,800 employees and a budget of over $10 billion. I mean, what are they doing? I have no idea, but it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> it seems to me like it would be really nice to knock about half of those out. And, and so this is, you know, I've talked on the stump about the need to investigate Desi. If I'm elected, we're going to file our sunshine request. We're going to get in under the hood of that department because the budget keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
They keep hiring more and more employees. A lot of that's these sort of federal mandates that are being pushed down from above. And our results are lousy. And until we demand that that Desi answers to we the people, we're just going to keep getting more of the same. That's why I think that's it's just such an important issue. And more and more and more rules that take away more and more of our dollars and our human capital trying to satisfy those rules rather than teaching the kids. It's that simple. Such as MSIP. When you such say as rules, MSIP, that's right, what I the mean. hoops that we have the to hoops, jump through and, and what Now through. MSIP 6, where we even, we got dinged, we even have to capture every eighth grade, every eighth grader student, every eighth grade student has to indicate what their career path is. Oh. You'll get a point if you don't capture Every single student. That was new for because, MSIP 6. Because every eighth grader knows what they're going to be when of they're going to grow up. Right. right. I just found out right. yesterday, or uh, I had company over at my house this last week. We had some fun celebrating my father-in-law's 90th birthday. But my daughter um, informed us that she wants to be a rheumatologist. That was new because that wasn't the case last year. Well, when, yeah, I was, right. when I was so, in I eighth mean, grade, I wanted to be an astronaut. Three more times. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. Exactly. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's the, the idea it's, that a 14 year old knows what the, where they want to go in life and the, the, the idea that that should be a role for schools, that that should be something schools are graded on. That just doesn't make any sense. The way you prepare kids to pursue their dreams, to pursue any career path that they want is by making sure that they have a great education, mm-hmm. by making sure that they're prepared for what comes next at every stage of the educational process. And until our schools are doing that, Asking an eighth grader what you know what they want to do ten years in the future uh, that just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. and and that's this misprioritization we see in Desi in Jefferson City. It's this overly bureaucratized culture where if you check the boxes, you get ahead. Uh, while results continue to be bad, while while schools continue to fail, and it's not making you factory ready to have you lined up to go in one particular direction. Is to give you broad enough of an educational right scope Mm -hmm. so that you can choose. We have these programs now in our high schools. I don't know if you have them in Nixa. And basically the kids fall into a track, ninth through 12th grade. Pipelining. Pipelining. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that, except you have to. I think it's great if a student chooses that. But right now, if you don't get out of that track by the time you're sophomore, you're stuck. So if you've picked healthcare or you've picked computers... Yes, really. And so, again, I do think that there's some value. Some students do know what they want to do, right? right. Maybe their dad owns a plumbing company, and they're like, hey, I like this. It's good money, good hours. I want to be a plumber. Good for you. There are plenty of kids who don't know what they want to do. And to do them a real service is to educate them. Educate them effectively and as completely as you can and let them decide. And so I do think that we need to do the basics and do it right, just like Will was saying. You know, I have a, had a great experience with one of my sons. He went to Kickapoo High School, and um, I'm in my uniform. I was in the Navy, you know, and, and that's kind of, you walk into this room with this this high school counselor, and it's kind of like, ooh, this guy's in the military, you know. It was, it was kind of shaken up a little bit at that time frame. And so I think she was a little leery wanting to talk with me and my son because all we were trying to do is actually – Put him on track to get the best education that we we thought he should do. He sh- we needed to kind of develop his classes and everything. And where I'm going with this basically is this. One of the first words out of the counselor's mouth was, what college or university are you going to go to? Mm. Mm. 
and man i lit up i mean i didn't didn't light up like get on her or anything like this i'm saying i just held up my hand like a stop sign i'm like let's just pause here for a moment and let's think of what we're saying here i have no idea whether my son wants to go to college or not what i do know is i want to set up classes where he can get his reading his writing his arithmetic and get the necessary skills to continue to go to the next level and then to the next level. Build. And by the time he graduates high school, let him do anything that he wants to do. Well, he kind of broke my heart there. I'm 20 years in the Navy. He goes and joins the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> but today, my son is an aerospace engineer. Mm. And that would have not happened if it wasn't for me going into and talking to the counselor and setting the track for my kid. Mm-hmm. And I am just so happy that I did that. And unfortunately, I think those those are the things that we're missing right now in education. Well, I think the kids who really lose out, you were obviously a very involved parent. You're involved in your community. You're involved in your kid's education. There are a lot of kids in this state who, unfortunately, uh, their parents aren't as involved for reasons in their control or outside of their control. And we need a school system that's going to empower those kids uh, with with a good education, with good fundamentals, so that they can be as successful as, as your son was, or at least they can pursue their dreams. And until we right the ship of public education in this state, we're just going to have a ge- another generation lost. And it's just unacceptable. Well, I think Miriam hit it on the head when she said offering those um career opportunities and and steering the children in those directions is fine if it's optional right and particularly and, and it particularly helps those students like you said that may not have engaged parents at home so being in a district that offers that optionally is fantastic yes it's when they get then stuck into that path and then the child is like oh my gosh now i have to tell my parents that i want to change this and it it just becomes um like stuck in the mud right and they're not able to grow and possibly change into something that's even more um, fulfilling for them. I think more generally what we're doing, we're changing the nature of childhood. We're taking kids who once were you know, given the opportunity to go to school, get an education, but develop as, as people, develop as adults at their own rate. And we're shoving them into this one-size-fits-all bureaucratized model mm-hmm. that disempowers students, disempowers parents, and it may look good on some DESI checklist somewhere, and it, it may be something that a school administrator could kind of brag about, but I don't think it serves children, and I don't think it serves our communities. Well, and that's that's something that's bothered me as well, and you, you use the phrase, one size fits all. Okay, so in my opinion, not everything that DESI, obviously not everything that they put out is wrong. It's Often it's well-intended, but it's a one size fits all um, solution for a very localized often problem and so i'll give you an example um last year o'laughlin's educational omnibus bill spoke about um reading intervention Mm -hmm. okay nixa already did a had their own solution and different ways in which they measured whether a child needed reading intervention okay now it's dictated by desi we have to choose these four different vehicles so now we have to take time out of our teachers um, day and train them on this new method. We have to pick, they have to go sit through the whole sales pitch on these, uh, these different, four different designated things by DESE, and we have to pick one. We already had one. Why do we have to pick one of those? 
Why can't we just stay, stick with what we, we already had? They want to have the control. And that's, control. that's the local control issue that you've been such a leader on, Bridget. And it's, it's really important. Uh, we elect school boards. We elect people to school boards who we trust to run our schools. But instead, we have schools being run by this administrator culture and by this bureaucracy in Jefferson City that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And frankly, by the Federal Department of Education that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of these mandates, if they, if they were working, it would be a different question altogether. But they're not working. Our results continue to be bad. And you will not convince me that empowering parents and empowering local communities is going to result in worse, not better education. You know, Will, uh, explain to me if, if Desi has $1.2 billion that they're just holding on to <laughs> when... Man, I have educators, man. They want, they want more money. They need more money. We can even bus our kids. I, I, I know. We need, we need buses. We need all kinds oh. of things. I'd love to have all of that money for us to be able to use. But then on the other hand, I'm hearing earlier, man, they just want more money and more money and more money. The districts and that. But the real crux of the matter is how, how can we come together? How can we take that $1.2 billion and actually focus on areas that districts need the money in order to get us back to the on track with ABCs and one, two, threes. That's, that's what I want. I think everybody all over the state, Republicans, Democrats, everybody wants higher teacher pay, wants school districts to be able to employ the best possible teachers, retain talented teachers, make sure that classroom instruction is as good as it can be. It's an age-old story. The bureaucracy expands to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's this endless cycle mm-hmm. oh, yeah. where mm-hmm. you have more and more money going in and more and more mandates mm-hmm. coming down. And what you end up with is a situation where we're spending more and more and more, but that money's not getting to where it needs to be. And when I talk about investigating Desi, when we talk about the need for accountability uh, from these bureaucrats in Jefferson City, that's really what we're talking about. Where are our taxpayer dollars going? And why are they not going to where they need to go? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break Wait. here, and we'll have our last segment. And uh, what I want to bring back to the table is, is how we're going to move forward. What's going to happen in the next election and that? How can we get people interested in that? And then just what is it that you intend to do, Will, in the educational department for us if you become the next Missouri State Attorney General? We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. There's a rhythm, yeah, there's a feeling, oh, we've been kicking these words around too long, I had a feeling we were close to something. The news and talk. There's never been anything like it, a witch hunt like this has never taken place. That matters to Springfield. Putin clearly made a strategic error. Quality and serving people since 1994. Available in local stores, including Costco. Call thesecoffee.com. This is the Elijah Har Show with former Speaker of the House Elijah Har on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind, thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying. But I'm only human after all. I'm only human. Garrett, I'm only human after all. That's why I was just <laughs> dancing. Okay, <laughs> I, I was too that time. That was that was beautiful. That was good. I I, I like that coming in there. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have Will Sharf here, and uh, we have Mary Ann Mohammed Khani, and we have Bridget Bendiger, 
Uh, Bridges with the Nixta School District, and Marianne Mohammed Khan is with the Springfield Board of Education here. And uh, Will, I want to bring the uh, bring the mic back to you. I want to talk. Just we're not going to have a lot of time on this last segment, but what I would like to see or hear from you is moving forward. You're you're wanting to become the Missouri's Attorney General, and uh, you have a lot of influence when you get in this position. And I'd like to know. What do you think that you can do with DESE and help out the districts in the state of Missouri if you were to be elected? So I think what we have in Jefferson City today, and this is really the thing that motivated me to run for attorney general, what we have in Jefferson City is a culture that's totally controlled and totally driven by a small number of lobbyists and special interests. And we elect some great reps and senators. They get there. They get sucked into this Jefferson City culture where the people setting the agenda don't have the interests of we the people at heart. Mm. And until we break that basic mold, we're not going to get the results that we deserve as a state, whether it's on education, whether it's in terms of crime in our cities, uh, whether it's in terms of, of economic development. I think the biggest thing holding the state of Missouri back is actually our state government. And I think that's been a, a story that's unfolded over decades. What do I want to do on education? We've been talking you know, most of this hour, we need to investigate DESI. We need to get in under the hood of this $10 billion State Department and understand why, despite the fact that budgets keep going up and up and up, our educational results aren't following and kids aren't getting that grounding, that basic education uh, that they need to succeed. I think what Eric Schmidt did holding school districts accountable during COVID was so necessary. And we've seen a, a real step back from that since Eric Schmidt got promoted to the U.S. Senate. Uh, but what Schmidt went after districts for things like illegal masking, uh, for, for, you know, critical race theory, for these, these core curricular issues that we're seeing all over the state. Uh, you know, the left loves to say democracy dies in the darkness. Well, there's an element of truth to that, that if no one holds these administrators accountable, uh, then we the people lose our say in government and we lose our say in control over this state. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just signaling to Garrett here so I know how much time we have. Uh, I'm happy I'm, I'm happy to keep rolling, but that's <laughs> yes. the challenge we face, and we need to make a decision as a state in the next year. Do we want more of the same? If you want more of the same, if you're perfectly happy with your state government, I'm probably not the right candidate for you. If you want more of the same, look somewhere else. If you want someone who's going to go in and really try to shake things up in Jefferson City to break that broken culture there, uh, and to really shine light on what's going on at DESI, what's going on in school districts all over the state, trying to empower parents, uh, trying to build a better future for our kids, uh, then I'd encourage you to look at our campaign. You can find us on the web. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, but these are the core conversations we need to be having as a state uh, before we go to the ballot box next August and next mm -hmm. November. What? Uh, how, how would somebody reach out to you? Uh, you can you can find our website at votescharf.com. That's V-O-T-E-S-C-H-A-R-F.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Truth Social, at Will Scharf. Uh, we're, a, we're a pretty open campaign. We're being driven by grassroots energy. Uh, Y'all have my number. Call anytime. Absolutely. So do you have some of the sentiments that you've expressed here today? Which have been fantastic. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree, mm -hmm. Bridget? I agree. Oh, my, my Lord. And a breath of fresh it's air. A breath, oh, just hope on the horizon. Are these sentiments on 
these various in these various locations, you know, the social media avenues. Sure, or, or just reach out to us directly. You know, I'm I'm always happy to talk to voters. We we have a a great grassroots network all over the state. We're doing events all over the state. For me, that's been the fun part of the campaign is just getting around and meeting people and talking to people about issues like these. And so far, what we're hearing all over the state is just this sense of deep dissatisfaction with the way that things are going. You know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, that's kind of what we've been doing as a state for a long time. I think we have a golden opportunity in the next year uh, to really start riding the ship, to really start turning things around. And that's why I decided to run. I've never run for office before. This is my first time doing this. Uh, but I think that, you know, we the people deserve a, a much louder, much more powerful voice in Jefferson City. And that's what our campaign's all about. And, you know, we do have to have that voice in Jefferson City, but even more so here within our districts. Uh, I'm in my second year on the Board of Education. I was going to uh, say, you're in good company. None yeah. of us had ever run for anything before. <laughs> We're all first-termers. Yeah. And I'd, and yeah. I'd love uh, the opportunity to run again. Uh, that is my intentions right now because – I don't think that I can have the impact just being on the Board of Education for three years. If we can get motivated and get in and steered in the right direction, um, and that's a whole nother segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to be part of the change, the change that that uh, we have reading, writing, and arithmetic for all the kids and not just some of the kids. And and Dr. Mary Ann Muhammad Khani and the- I kids the kids the right? kids we're yeah. changing thank you. yes thank you the kids uh, i don't know if you're looking at the uh, maybe re-election here or what you know i i don't know well, should i put you on the spot well, or what? Oh, i have a question to ask will um so is it just you and andrew bailey or are there other people on the ballot it's just going to be the two of us we think okay. in this race for attorney general that's the state of play right now uh, I think my opponent really represents those sorts of Jefferson City interests. We've seen him take a real step. He said he won't investigate school districts. Uh, he declined to appeal a, a crucial case about the attorney general's power uh, to investigate and hold school districts accountable. So I think on education issues or on numerous other issues like crime and human trafficking as well, uh, we've seen that office take a real step back since January. And I think that's just wrong. And that's why we're in this race. Nice, nice dodge, by the way, (laughs) Dr. Mary. Well, I'm I'm not done. Hold on. (laughs) So there's nobody on the Democratic ticket that you know of? There are two Democrats running. Okay. Uh, Given how this state is right now, we think the Republican primary is going to be decisive. I'll say about my Democrat opponents, it's State Rep Sarah Unsicker and Elod Gross. They're both far-left radicals. Mm. Uh, They do not share our values. They have a very different vision for the future of the state. And I thank God that Missouri is a red enough state now that I don't think we really have to worry about them. But, you know, this is a generational fight, and we need Missourians willing to dig in for the long term. Otherwise, we're going to start to see these far-left wackos who have done so much damage to our schools, so much damage to our cities and our communities. Uh, We're going to start to see them more empowered, not less empowered. And, you know, I don't, you know, we label people as right and left and red and blue and republican and democrat but and wackos i just heard earlier. <laughs> but you know <laughs> we haven't always been this polarized right so right. I, right. in fact i did not know the political affiliation of many members of my family and most of my friends i until more recently right mm-hmm. until the whole covid era and the last or maybe just a little bit before that until about 2016 2017 is when 
we all became more politically aware. So come to find out, I have a lot of friends and family members on both sides of the political aisle. And let me tell you the one thing that they all agree on is education. Hmm. And just even people I don't know, but our acquaintances, I cannot come up, or even just people who come up to my house to fix the garage door, or you know, just people you come across in your day-to-day life. I don't know a single person who doesn't want the same thing that I want mm-hmm. for my kids, for their kids. I can't find one person, just like you said, Will, who says, well, I don't want my child to be educated. I th- oh, we wow. all agree on that, and and I think this transcends politics, and I think it's the messaging, and I, I you are a breath of fresh air, and I hope that people from the other side of the aisle listen to you because I promise you, if they do take the time to listen, your message will resonate with them. Mm-hmm. I think that they agree with you 100%. Um, you, you know, and one of the craziest things we've seen in recent years is just how far left the Democrat Party has gone. I mean, this is a state that used to have, uh, you know, Congressman Ike Skelton, uh, Dick Gephardt to an extent. I mean, they didn't believe in defund the police. Uh, they didn't believe in cramming critical race theory down the throats of kindergartners. I mean, it was a very different era in American politics when this state was more evenly divided. I think one of the reasons why this state has become progressively redder and redder is because the rhetoric coming out of, of Democrat leaders, whether it's in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, or the folks in Jefferson City or the folks in the cities here, uh, it just doesn't mesh with Missouri values. And, and that's why I think we've seen this craziness. You know, I was a violent crime prosecutor in St. Louis. I, I never once heard a crime victim say, I wish the police could have gotten here a little slower. I wish we had fewer policemen on the block. Uh, you know, the, the the values being expressed by this this left wing, you know, radical activist set, they don't reflect anybody. There's no constituency for them. And, you know, I hope that after we win this primary, we're going to be competitive in the cities. We're going to be competitive all over the state uh, based on this common sense message that we need better schools, that we need accountability in Jefferson City, that we need a government that reflects our values and reflects uh, hopefully a much better future for this state. And I I just hope that the Springfield's board, uh, not the board, but the uh, election for 2024, April 2024, we're going to have three seats of the Board of Education in Springfield that's going to be open. And so all you good people out there, you listeners, I want you to understand there are three seats that are going to become available uh, in April of 2024, and we certainly would urge you to look into these candidates that come out and want to be, get on the Board of Education and invest your time because it's not just the kids' future. It's our future within the city, within our communities and that, and we must get involved, and we have to elect the right people on the Board of Education. I think it's so, so important, not just for the community, but for the kids in their future, just like my son, sitting down and mapping out and helping him become successful in his life. And, Will, I think you said it earlier about how we just don't have a lot of parents that are getting involved. And and if I That's have... starting to change. If I have grandparents out there, I'm sure there's a lot of grandparents that are in my age group, I'm sure, that are very concerned about their grandchildren and how it is that they want the best for their grandchildren. And uh, and so by pushing that parent to get involved with their kids 
every day, day in, day out. Let's get them out of the way in front of the computers. Let's get them off of the cell phones. Let's have a break. You know, put that cell phone away in the closet. We need that, to come together and talk about cell phones. Okay, so I see you have one minute. Yeah, so we have one minute. I'm going to do 15 seconds and we'll go around the table. Producer was sweating here. Thank oh. you. <laughs> I think that everybody should recognize not just local school board elections and city council, but at the state level, we need the right people in state level positions like Will Sharf here. Talk to people on the other side of the aisle. And you will find, as I have found, that they agree with you and that education, this is imperative. This is, like Will said, this is a a Mm once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get Mm -hmm. this right. I implore you to to talk about this and to introduce your friends and your families to to Will Scharf. I'm going to let you talk. No, I was just going to, just to dovetail on what Steve was saying and you just said, we are at a point now where the the uh, common mantra of public education is so um, low right now. We have the ability now, like you said, at a point in time to raise up public education to where it should be, put Missouri on the map for, for our public education, right? Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to have to end our show right now. Uh, Alex Bryant will be on tomorrow uh, in hosting for the Elijah Show, the Elijah Hart Show, excuse me. Uh, God bless every one of you out there. Get out there and vote. Let's make it happen for these kids. I am not skilled to understand.